Kodai Sang is a Met. Lock it in. Done. Jack, you can make fun of this clip and mock me if in a week from now he's signing with the Dodgers or the Mariners or the Padres, but Kodai Senga is going to the Mets' number three starting pitcher. I'm getting the sense that I know the quote last year was Steve Cohen said, we're not going to spend like drunken sailors. Well, too bad. Well, as yours truly predicted last week's episode, Kodai Senga is indeed the New York Mets number three starter, as you just heard. He's not a Los Angeles Dodger. He's not a Boston Red Sox. The New York Mets have effectively replaced their entire rotation of Taiwan Walker, Jacob DeGrom, as well as Chris Bassett. They now have Kodai Senga. They now have uh, Justin Verlander, and they now have Jose Quintana. Jack, how are you doing today now at the winter meetings and the big spending week in baseball that saw over $1.5 billion worth of contracts is in the books? Yeah, the rush of the meetings, as you mentioned, is kind of over. Um, the Mets still made a couple moves with Robertson, Sanga. Um, the, you know, the Red Sox also got in there um, So it's, with uh, Masataka. So but the, overall, the league and the market itself is dialed down. Um, many people expect Carlos Rodon to sign soon. We don't know if that's going to be this week or um, depending on if he's getting the offer he likes or not. He could also take his time to get those six years, 30 million a piece that he's looking for. So we don't um, from now on without that, that accelerator of the winter meetings, everyone being consolidated in the same five star hotel. There really isn't kind of any motivation to get any kind of deal going now. So it's back to patiently waiting. And at any moment, you can be seeing the Jeff Passenbaum. So I'm really in that state. I enjoy the winter meetings quite a lot. I think we've talked about that in our recap of, of said meetings. But, you know, as we move on more now, it's the long haul, the offseason getting from this point to pitchers and catchers reporting. It's going to be, you know, here, there. We get occasional moves. Danzy Swanson, Carlos Correa, Rodon. So hopefully we get some of those soon. And some team is going to be getting a very, very nice early Christmas present. So I know a lot of different outlets and a lot of Mets podcasts or baseball podcasts are probably giving you the, so what could Mets fans expect with Kodai Senga? What are the 2023 Mets going to look like? We're going to take a little bit of a different angle to approach this Kodai Senga signing. Yes, obviously you can go online. You can look at the the ghost fork ball, I believe it's called, and all the videos of what that looks like. him striking out Shohei Otani a couple of years ago. But we're going to look at the historical trend of what it's like for players from Japan to eventually convert over to the MLB coming from their league and whether that transition tends to work tends to be a struggle and I think from our initial analysis it seems like it's a lot of mixed bags and while yes a lot of these players come over extremely hyped from overseas and we'll see them hitting 40 50 homers or we'll see them having a 1.5 ERA it is important to acknowledge the baseball is different in Japan they don't use the identical baseball that they do in major league in the MLB However, it's still equivalent. It's the same basically game. They do play music during the like actual pitches and stuff like that. You can definitely check out the atmosphere is absolutely electric. I know everyone who enjoys watching the WBC, that's basically what the environment is like in Japan for every single game. So when you're at a Mets game or you're at a Yankee game in the middle of May and it's dead and there's like 12,000 guys there, that doesn't happen in Japan. They're extremely fanatic about baseball. They love it there. And obviously, there are definitely a bunch of household names that you guys know that went through this process in the past. We have Shohei Otani in the league right now. We have Ichiro Suzuki, who's likely going to be a Hall of Famer in two years. For our older listeners, you have Hideo Nomo. And then a bunch of other really solid Major League Baseball players have come over from Japan. So, Jack, when you first looked at this list, 
of 73 players that we had that were born in Japan and eventually played in the Major League Baseball. What stuck out to you? I know we mentioned a couple of guys made all-star games, a couple of really solid baseball careers, but what stands out from this list of players? It's, you know, lots of the time we hear people talk about the fluky nature associated with when we have players like this. You know, the reports of Shohei Otani is a high school hitter, which obviously now his age is incredibly poorly. But, you know, the scrutinization and the skepticism that come when guys make the transition from NPB to Major League Baseball is certainly warranted, just given how there's been, you know, um, only in 73 players, only what five have accumulated over a war of 15, which is really not a high benchmark for reference. That's like Brandon Nimmo this past year uh, passed that mark and is currently at a war of 19. So just to say that the very few players have had even solid careers, let alone Hall of Fame, even none have had Hall of Fame or even, um, you know, kind of only two MVPs, you know, but that kind of distinction, I think, you know, you look at the cream of the crop, the two guys, Ichiro Suzuki, Shohei Otani, Ichiro, one of the best hitters of all time, and Otani now are probably the best player in Major League Baseball, maybe the best ever, both coming from Japan, certainly gives a lot of credit, and it's going to get players like um, we saw Senga, Masataka Yoshida, and then next offseason, uh, Roke Sazaki, who most famously threw nearly consecutive perfect games, threw one perfect game, uh, amassing over seven, 17 strikeouts, and then the next game took his, his perfect game into the ninth, game three outs away from throwing two back-to-back perfect games, rather unheard of. So it just shows you the kind of talent and potential arm he's going to bring. So there certainly is no lack of talent there. Just a matter of how those guys can make the transition, as you mentioned, with a different kind of baseball, playing against the best athletes in the world rather than a certain branch from just one small Pacific Island country. So it certainly is in terms of the style of play, the type of uh, the culture, and, you know, it's transitioned more from like a love of baseball culture to one that's just like craziness, hectics. You know, we've seen guys like Ichiro, um, both Ichiro and Tanaki elected, like they shied away from big market teams. I know um Otani did sign with the Angels but he made it apparent from the beginning you know I don't want to be on the East Coast I don't want to play for the Yankees I don't want to play for the Mets I want to say Pacific Coast not only to be closer to my family but also avoid the craziness that comes with New York and like playing for the Los Angeles Angels while as a large and populous city it's not the same in terms of media coverage as playing for the Boston Red Sox New York Yan- New York Yankees or New York Mets so we've seen these kind of guys like what that means to them in terms of base prioritizing baseball legacy and I think we're when we see you know lesser players come over um, it's going to, you know, put a lot of greens. I think um, Masataki Yoshida could be a recipe for that. We saw the Red Sox paid a hefty sum. That could be a very well, you know, a guy who's either um, a 330 hitter and he's using his contact still and utilizing an excellent part of his game or perhaps one of the most overpaid bench players in all of baseball. I think when you look at this, there are a lot of names. I think the five guys or six guys, or no, five guys that stand out in Major League Baseball currently that includes Shohei Otani, that includes Yu Darvish, Kenta Maeda, Yusei Kikuchi, and NL Rookie of the Year from last year, favorite Seiya Suzuki. And basically what you learn in baseball, at least in the past couple of years, there's tends to be around two to three players per year that are coming over from Japan, Korea, and all those other uh, Pacific teams and Pacific countries. When you look at it, though, it seems to be split 50-50 of guys who actually perform and live up to the expectation and guys that tend to be sort of busts, as you want to call them. And it tends to happen pretty early that you can tell. Say Suzuki burst onto the street on the scene last year. He unfortunately got injured, which basically derailed his NL Rookie of the Year campaign. But I think, and if you're a Chicago Cubs fan, you probably agree with this, he's a for sure right fielder, everyday starting player in baseball. 
On the other hand, you had guys like Hirokazu Sawamura came over for the Boston Red Sox and struggled and has since been released. Kohei Arihara came over to the Texas Rangers. He struggled. He's been released. Shogo Akiyama came over to the Cincinnati Reds, played center field for two years for them. He was ultimately released. Yoshi Tsutsugo has now bounced around the league to a couple teams, including Tampa, Pittsburgh, Toronto. He's not doing that great. He's battling in Pittsburgh for a bench spot at this point at best. Yoshi Hirano was a reliever for the Arizona Diamondbacks. He struggled and has left again. And Shun Yamaguchi came over. He played for the Blue Jays and also has now since left baseball as well. So those are scenarios. Six guys who came over to MLB. They thought they were going to be big players, whether it was Yamaguchi, who they said this might be the future closer of the Blue Jays, whether it was Akiyama, who the Red said was going to be our everyday center fielder and battle with Nick Senzel for at-bats at the top of the order. Sometimes things just don't click for whatever reason. And as we just mentioned, there is a track record. There have only been six players ever to make multiple all-star games who were from Japan. There are only 14 guys in general who have ever made an all-star game. And when you think about 14 out of 73 total, that is not a great track record. That's around 19% of players. And the six out of seven, three, six out of 17 to make multiple all-star games is only around 8%, which is definitely not a great track record for guys who are sometimes heralded as the next best thing in baseball. As you mentioned earlier, only eight players in history have had a war above 15 and there's only one guy who's likely going to be a Hall of Famer in Ichiro Suzuki. I assume Shohei Otani is going to get there eventually, but he isn't there just yet. And then Otani and Ichiro are also the only two players ever to win MVPs. Of course, we have been talking a lot negatively in this episode and saying that it's not a great success rate. But of course, there are successes. We mentioned the five guys in the major leagues right now. But there are also a bunch of other Names that you probably recognize, Yankee fans, you know Hideki Matsui and you know Masahiro Tanaka. Mets fans, you've heard of Norichika Aoki, Daisuke Matsuzaka, Kaz Matsui. Red Sox fans, you know guys like Dave Roberts, who was actually born in Japan when his father was in the military. There's also Koji Uihara, who got the last out of the World Series for you guys. Mariners fans, you remember Hisashi Iwakuma was good with Felix Hernandez for a couple seasons. And basically, there are a lot of very solid major league pitchers. And the good thing about the Mets, as we now transition back to the 2023 season and looking at how this could benefit the Mets, is that, yes, Kodai Senga is heralded as an ace in baseball, or at least people are saying he's going to come over and he's going to dominate. The good thing is the Mets don't need him to do that. He's the three in the rotation at best. He's slotted behind Scherzer and Verlander. So all the weight and all the scrutiny is going to be put on those guys, and the spotlight will be on Scherzer and Verlander back together for the first time in almost a decade with their six Cy Youngs, and they're going to be the guys that are supposed to deliver. And Senga can quietly have a nice 3-5 ERA, go out and make 30 starts in his career, a solid rookie season. He now probably battles with Francisco Alvarez for who's the most likely NL Rookie of the Year, which will be an interesting debate to have in a later episode. But Jack, your thoughts now, now that we know all of this about the success rate of players coming from Japan, is there anyone on this list that you might say maybe this is a good comp? Maybe if the Mets can get a Masahiro Tanaka-like performance out of him or anything of that ilk that you want to talk about the Mets 2023 and Shogo or and Kodai Senga. I think certainly if you're the Mets, you sign up for getting um a Tanaka-like performance, especially pre-injury Tanaka before that kind of derailed his career. He got rookie of the year votes and it was an all-star in 2014, then Sayang votes in 2016, and an excellent playoff resume for him and was one of the, the Yankees' biggest pitchers come October. So certainly, if you're the Mets, you sign up for that for three years, paying $15 million a piece. It can certainly be worth a contract doing that. 
But I think Singh's uh, his, his ceiling is even higher. As you mentioned, you know, the triple digits fastball. We'll see the kind of ride he can get on that given the new stitching and the weight of the major league ball that's heavily scrutinized. But then that ghost fork ball is certainly legit and can play at the major league level. I'd say right now, if we had to assess um, Senga, we would probably put him in the, uh, I would say the top, he has potential to be a top 50 starter, if not higher in this next season. And, you know, behind um, Verlander and Scherzer, who are two like top bottom half of the top 10 guys, you certainly have, do not need him to be much better than that, to have one of, if not what is right now, the best rotation in all of baseball. So definitely a position of strength in the Mets. It seems like they kind of retooled rather than improved with the rotation, which is something you know, we saw pitching was a strength for them. So, you know, maybe replacing but not upgrading is a way that they're going to be very good. And also notice, remember, is that they only had Jacob deGrom for a very, very brief part of the end of the season. He only he accumulated less than a three war, and they still won over 100 games. So it just shows you that, you know, if Verlander can stay healthy, that alone is going to be a huge improvement that deGrom could not provide them in the past, you know, year and a half. So Senga is certainly a very good fit. Steve Cohen showing no reluctance to spend money at a crazy historic pace. It seems like now, though, they might be done via the free agent market. I think they'll certainly check out the trades, but it seems like there's really no one. Uh, Carlos Correa, I doubt, is moving off the shortstop position. I know those comments, but you don't keep out, you don't eliminate a market for a guy who has a payroll that's going to exceed 400 million come luxury taxes. So, you know, um, just given that alone, uh, it seems like there's not really much fit for the top free agents. It's more so who can they acquire? We've talked about Rafael Devers. We've caught, you mentioned Shane D, um, Shane Bieber, Bieber, one of those guys would be monumentous, probably very unlikely moves, but the Mets certainly are one of, if not the most active organizations in free agency and how you want to argue they stand as of right now is certainly up for debate. I think I'm going to put my little wizard hat on again and make a nice bold prediction because I said Nimmo would be a Met and Brandon Nimmo became a Met in the very next episode. And then I made the prediction that Kodai Senga would be a Met. And I think Kodai Senga, less than a week later, actually signed and chose the Mets. It's time to do another wizard prediction, Jack. And this one's going to be a little different. But I think by next, or maybe not by next week, but I think the next move to the Mets trade is subtracting from the roster. And I would not be surprised if Carlos Carrasco is moved. I think the Mets rotation is now solid at the top with Verlander, Scherzer, I almost said DeGrom, wow, Kodai Senga and Jose Quintana. You also have David Peterson and you also have Tyler McGill. It would not surprise me to see the Mets realize, and yes, as we've often said, Steve Cohen, what is your limit to spending? And Steve Cohen responded, the limit does not exist, basically by already pushing the payroll up to $420 million. But I think a way that the Mets could subtract a little bit from that payroll is to get rid of Carlos Carrasco and trust Peterson and McGill in order to have the fifth spot. So I think Carlos Carrasco getting traded is the next move. And then when everyone's like, what's happening? Steve Cohen subtracting from the payroll. He's going to put the cherry on top. You're saying it's not likely. But Puerto Rico, as we're saying, and this is a good way to full circle this episode, baseball in other countries, as much as we love our USA baseball and we love baseball, our equivalent of football and the NFL is baseball in Central America, is baseball in Japan, is baseball in South Korea. It is their sport there. It is their culture. And the WBC and the environment that those guys have and a camaraderie for their country seems legit. We saw it in 2021 when Javier Baez moved off of shortstop to be the second baseman for the New York Mets and wanted to play alongside Lindor for the foreseeable future. Even when in free agency, he said, I'd play second base long term to be next to Lindor. 
Obviously, the Mets had had enough of Javier Baez in their two-month experiment with him where he ended up booing the fans. It seems like Carlos Correa would be willing to do the same and move to third base if he's allowed to play next to countryman Francisco Lindor for the next decade. Now, how would that work for the Mets' long-term pursuit of Shohei Otani? I don't know, but I think Carlos Correa and the Mets on a short-term high, high, high AAV contract with Steve Cohen could not care less about how high the Mets payroll would get to. When you think about it, if they're at 420 right now, you pay Correa 40 million plus 40 million to the tax as well. Steve Cohen, I feel looking at a $500 million payroll for the Mets in 2023. Call me crazy. And it probably is, but I think there's a non-zero chance it happens. I'm going to call you crazy and say there's a zero chance you percent chance you said, but you just said happens. It seems like the market is crazy, crazy, crazy high right now, just given owners a possession to spend, the, the abundance of free agents. You know, Correa did the route you said, took a short-term deal, got a 35, three-year, three, a $35 million contract last year. He's currently t- only 28 years old, and he just turned 28. He doesn't turn um 29 for like another 300 days. So he's going to be in his age 28 season getting, you know, he, we just saw the 11-year contract that Xander Bogarts and Trey Turner signed, and they are two or um, three years older than Bogarts, he's going to get a 10-year deal that takes him into his 40s. And in the Javier um, Baez is kind of analogous. You know, the Puerto Rican heritage is shared amongst the three of those. But the problem is, one, Baez didn't really have a choice because he was uh, acquired via trade. And Correa is going to get, he's the guy in charge now. He's the free agent. And the other key distinction is that Correa is, um, or rather Lindor, is a significantly better fielder than Javi Baez, as is Correa. And Correa is a better fielder than Lindor. So him taking the back seat to go in a subsidiary defensive position. We saw A-Rod do it for Derek Jeter, but that was a similar situation where A-Rod was traded. It's Derek Jeter's team. He had won multiple championships. And while I'd certainly say Lindor is kind of in a captainist position right now, it's not the same as Jeter winning five championships uh, or four championships prior, prior to A-Rod's acquisition and then being willing and accepting to move over to third base. Seeing Correa now, you know, it doesn't, he took the bet on himself last year. The market wasn't there. The market is certainly there this year, whether it's the Dodgers who have said and appeared to be out, the Boston Red Sox, Baltimore Orioles, um, Tampa Giants. Bay, or Atlanta Braves, the Chicago Cubs. There's an abundance of teams that are well, willing to have Correa services. And if they want to pay the guy who, yeah, well, I'm sure he'd love to pay with Francisco Lindor. I think he'd love to have a $330 million contract, just as much, if not more. But the long term, I think, is the way to go. And, you know, if he is going to sign with the Mets, I doubt it's on any type of short-term deal. It's going to be a long contract that, as you said, likely would take them out on Shohei Otani. You're telling me if Steve went to Correa and said one year $50 million, he's saying no? I think he's saying no, and I don't think Steve Cohen does that either. Interesting. All right. Well, sure to have a fun offseason ahead of us. Yeah. Anything else? Well, you think if Correa, Correa certainly has no... Um, lack of injury history. I think Steve Cohen is also a businessman and knows Correa could very well get hurt pretty easily and waste that entire $50 million investment. There's no such thing as a bad one-year contract. I will forever live with that assumption because you just wipe your hands clean at the end of the offseason. And as Steve Cohen has proven, money grows on trees for him and he can always make more money when it happens. But obviously this wasn't a Mets episode. Well, it wasn't that Kodai Senga signed with the Mets and that Masataka Yoshida signed with the Boston Red Sox, but we really hope that you did find this insight um, helpful in getting to know what it was like 
the history, the trajectory of former uh, players and current players as well coming over from Japan and what the track record and what you can expect from a guy like Kodai Senga could be. There have been a couple of Rookie of the Year's Otani, Ichiro included, so maybe Kodai Senga could become a future Rookie of the Year in Queens, but I think dial down expectations a little bit, but at the same time, Mets fans, he's your number three. You can get really excited because this rotation is really, really, really good. So, Jack, unless there's anything else you have to add, we will be back on Wednesday, December 14th with more baseball coverage and hopefully some fun offseason coverage. So until the next time, the side is retired.